This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. Uh, this is Isaac Simpson. I am here with returning guest Yuri Bezmanov, great substacker, uh, one of the best in the game. Uh, who his substack is called How to Subvert Subversion, and. Um, has just broken 8,000 Substack subscribers, which is actually an incredible number. So uh, welcome again, Yuri. Thanks, Isaac. You're too kind, and it's a pleasure to be back. You were the first guy to invite me to come on the podcast, and it's been a lot of fun to see how the carousel has grown, and you've had a lot of legendary guests, so I am honored to be back here again. Yeah, no, of course, man, of course. I loved... uh... You know, I, I love your work. I, I think we cover a very similar beat. And, you know, your essays are all about propaganda and they're about um, just I think we're pretty much covering the same stuff. It's about like how culture and politics mix together and how there's always these you know things that are ha happening in culture. I think that you have a really good understanding of the financial elements of things, which is uh, I actually just had a Bitcoin guy uh, on here. And so I, I just love that financial perspective. And I think that you have a really good sense of like what's happening with that. Um, but before we get into that, maybe you can talk about what's it been like getting to 8,000? Like, how's it going just generally as a sub stacker? Like, I, cause it's, you know, uh, Twitter and Substack have become completely disconnected, which is kind of painful, but like, I just wonder how you're seeing the landscape and how it's been getting to 8,000. Sure. Well, to sum it up, it's been the most fun grind I've ever done. And it's just one of those things that started out almost two years ago as a side project. And I had no idea where it was going to go. You know, I had no previous experience in media, in publishing or, or writing anything publicly. So I was reading a lot of Substacks at the time, really enjoyed all of the the authors and the topics they were covering. So I just threw my hat in the ring and said, okay, let me start publishing something myself. And let me think about the ways that I can cover something from my unique perspective. And so you know, I cover all these boxes of being the classic demoralized commissar. You know, I'm a millennial. I'm a quote unquote person of color. Uh, I went to a Divey League university. I've lived in a, a progressive decaying FUPAS, as I like to call it, the, yeah. the Federation of Urban Progressive Autonomous Zones uh, in these big cities. And I've also worked for a big corporation. I've been around the finance world and the tech world. So the typical person who checks all those boxes is completely demoralized. And I've been in the rooms, I've been in these conversations, and I felt like Substack was the best place to have an outlet for it. And, you know, in, in the blink of an eye, two years later, here we are at 8,000. Um, like I said at the beginning, I had no 
goals in mind. I, I had no previous big following on Twitter or other platforms. And I think the main motivation, I wrote a piece about why I'm writing, but you know, in addition to becoming a father, you know, at the time I started this, wife was pregnant. And I also essentially had the gun of a booster mandate up against my head. And that's when it hit me very hard that I have to do yeah, a something vaccine, but just a vaccine where... booster ma mandate, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So this would have been in the, in the winter of death and disease of 2021 to 22. So yeah, I think everyone has that moment too. when they realize that sure I am taking a paycheck. I might be well-respected at, at my office or you're growing and, and getting promoted and all of that, but it all comes to an end the second that, you know, maybe your CEO, your boss gets something in their, in their mind, a virus, if you will, that they want to cut you because of one completely illogical, stupid thing, which we all know. So that was what really got me off the sidelines to say, okay, I'm going to go and publish something for myself. And I didn't even turn on a paywall or ask people to potentially pay until six months into the whole uh, Substack journey. But yeah, here we are, 8,000 people strong. And it's been a treat to get to know you and other people who have come along for the ride. Yeah, so uh, in terms of like, has your growth in, t in terms of like what you're doing, I remember talking to you, it's funny. I remember talking to you, I was in the airport. I vividly remember, remember this. And we talked on the phone like months ago, like this was probably like six months ago. And you were just like, yeah, I don't know. You know, am I going to, am I going to make this my full thing? Am I going to try and do everything else? And uh, it's just amazing to have seen you like make a plan, execute the plan successfully. <laughs> you know, it's like so rare to see that. So has it gone pretty much according to plan or has there been a uh, very surprising elements of being a substacker. Well, I suppose it draws upon a couple of things that I already have done or have skills in. Uh, number one, I'm just constantly in group chats and we're slinging memes and things around. So a lot of that ends up making it into my posts. But you know, I'm also a very structured, disciplined, relentless type of person in my professional life and my personal life. I uh, keep my sense of humor and I keep the creativity percolating. So things will pop into my head. I will start to draft out a post. Usually there's like 10 or 12 being drafted and it's just a matter of getting them into final form before I publish. But you know, that's a, a quick summary of what goes on behind the scenes. And then you know, in terms of surprises, it's all been on the positive. I've been surprised by the just how many people from all different backgrounds, walk of, walks of life, where they live, what they do, that have come on to have become a subscriber. Uh, I've really enjoyed meeting uh, a few of them in person. I like to organize a meetup every quarter or so, and that's been a treat. But if you look at the, the growth curve, I think a lot of people like to do these milestone posts and show their growth curves. Like mine is like relatively linear. And it's accelerating, like it's it's more on the on the J slope now because there is so many uh, flywheel effects within Substack, and I think as you get more recommendations, as as your name gets out there more, um, it's easier to build on that foundation. So hopefully it'll continue on a more exponential path. But there hasn't been a single moment or 
or a set of, kind of viral spurts where you can point to a specific area on the line and say, well, that was a surprise. All of a sudden, like that post took off and generated hundreds of new subscribers. I've not really had those moments. So I'm embracing the serendipity and uh, I, I cover a lot of different topics. So I just have no idea before it goes out exactly how it's going to be received and how it drives views or new subscribers. Right. So are you seeing, um, what, what is your thoughts about just like the balance between Substack and Twitter? Like, are you using Twitter a lot or are you like, okay, so Substack notes, right. Which is the thing that they released that pissed off Elon and made it. So he like severed the connection between Twitter and Substack. Yep. Are, do people use Twitter notes or not? Or sorry, Substack notes or not really? I think people do use Substack notes. I actually did a survey of my readers. I think it had over 500 responses a couple of weeks ago. And in one of those questions, I did ask, like, do you even use Substack notes? And I think 40% of them do. And I'm posting like a full post two or three times a week, Sundays, Thursdays, and maybe Tuesdays. And then notes is a good wow. way to just get your post out there to people who might not have come across it. I don't know how their algorithm works or how like new people find you through notes if they're not already subscribed to you, but I have seen good traction on that. And then on days where I don't have a post, maybe I'll put one or two things proprietary to Substack notes. Maybe it's reaction to something. Maybe it's a meme, but you mix it up. And so I think Substack notes when it launched six months ago, uh, no one really knew what to do with it, but maybe it, it caused that rift with Elon and, and Twitter. But I think it's taken a life of its own. There's enough other readers and writers, which is also important. You get to do more socializing and have bantering with other writers who are out there. So I think Substack notes has... Um, carved out its own niche in the world. And look, I, I, in terms of Twitter, I have had a Twitter for a long time, mostly just to uh, see the feed and, and get the latest, but I've never posted much there. I've never used it as an engine to grow an audience. Like compared to 8,000 Substack readers that I have, I think I barely have 2,000 on Twitter and I'm not trying to monetize. I'm not doing a whole lot uh, over there. So yeah, I, 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 Supposedly, I'm, I'm I'm loyal to Twitter. I'm a big fan of the team. The, the leaders have established a strong stance to protect free speech. And, and I've had a few interactions with them and other people on the team, and I've been really impressed by how thoughtful and professional they are. So, yeah, I will, I will continue to stand for Substack. <laughs> and uh, they've made it very easy for someone who, like me, is a complete amateur in this world to go and set something up, build an audience, and uh, help build some income as well. Yeah. So how's that going with the paid side? Like what can people expect? Like, would you suggest people do this for a living? That's a tough question. I think it's different for everyone and there's different stages, right? Like first you, you get your, your initial set of people who are willing to pay and you, and you sit back and you think, wow, that's fascinating to me that like this was the first time in my life I've generated income outside of a paycheck for myself. So, uh, the, and these are people who you've never met. It's not like you open a store, you, you shake your customer's hands, you sell them a product. It's just like, I'm putting my thoughts and ideas out there 
and these people who are out there in the world who I'll probably never meet in person like it enough to pay me. So that's like the first step. And then the second step is to try to you know, compound that growth and reach a point where like I call it diaper money right now because it's certainly not enough to do as a, a job, a full-time thing. And you, you have to support yourself and your family ultimately. But it's it's something that wasn't there before and it's become more substantial. And you take pride in that, that you're able to take some of it and like honestly, either diapers or toys or college funds, that's basically what my Substack earnings are going okay. towards. So you're not doing it fully on yet still as a as a living, right? No, but but then you can, see, right? yeah, you I mean you see that there's probably hundreds of people on Substack who can claim that they make over a hundred K a year, which yeah. I think being six figures and outside of the crappy FUPA cities, that's like a decent enough income to live off of. Like, yeah, you're not, you're not living lavishly uh, under a hundred K salary, but I think the fact that hundreds of people can just do that already and do that full time on Substack is a great thing. And I'm sure as Substack grows, it'll lift all of our boats here and hopefully more and more people will be able to move their way up that curve to finally like reach a point where they can say like, I really don't need to take a job anymore. I can just do this. 100%. Right. So yeah, it's like, I feel like everybody who is one of those people who like has like 10,000 page. I mean, I know mold bug, uh, has like enough to make a living, you know? I mean, he doesn't need it, of yeah. course, but it's like, <laughs> you know, like I've talked to him and I know that he like makes enough off Substack. Like he makes a large amount from Substack, like enough to like pay the bills and like live well. Yeah. Um, and I've met Moldbug slash Yarvin in person. He's a yeah. wonderful guy. We yeah. share actually a lot of fascinating coincidences in, in common, but I respect guys like him so much because they started such a long time ago. They've been doing this for over a decade and they started at a time where there was no platform for them. They probably weren't even monetizing. They just really enjoyed doing this and right. they might, might not even had a, an email mailing list. They were just posting it onto a website. So they didn't have that insight and analytics into who's signing up, who their audience is the way that we do because Substack has a, has a really nice dashboard. So yeah, like the, people like that, fully deserve it and actually makes me wonder who the biggest anon is out there like on substack on so I think most of the people in the top tier are all using their real names can't you, know, you look at this they have like the banner i don't know if there's a way to really break it down like who's the top people on substack so period st top 40 substacks by organic traffic i mean but who knows like if this is real where what uh, source is that I just Googled this. It was the first thing to come out, come up. JJ okay. Pryor. I, you know who I think is the number one anon is Cat Turd. <laughs> yeah, but he's only a Twitter guy, right? I don't even know who he is, to be honest. I don't really like get who Cat Turd is. Uh, I, I know that like there's a, I feel like the biggest people on here are all like, uh, like COVID deniers. You know what I mean? Wow, it's actually Ray a fascinating is mix, the, which is a, I think it's a it's a testament to Substack and how heterodox they are. That if you like, I'm scrolling through this top forty list with you, and like it's you truly have like everybody represented up there. 
all different beats, all different political leanings, but I, I they're all doing it under their real name. I actually God haven't damn. seen the, the, uh, it's crazy a solid how, A9 yet. Yeah, it's just crazy how many subscribers some of these people have. And is there any way to see like how many paid subscribers they have? That's the part that you can't get granularity on. You can see like the purple means 10,000 paid and the orange with white check means a hundred or sorry, a thousand paid. Is that paid so or you can total? Paid. Okay. Hundreds yeah. are paid. Okay. So that's so how... those are like the three bestseller tiers. It's like a hundred and then you 10 X to a thousand, then you 10 X to 10,000. 10, and if you do back of the envelope map math of, all right, they get 50 bucks per paid subscriber per year yeah the purple checks are, are doing 500k a year yeah probably more yeah so that's the part that like i don't think you can get from public data i think only the people who work at substack know the exact uh leaderboard and all where the details around the checks? it i don't like see where where do you see the checks i can't see you just have to go to the author's page and then oh, okay. the look author. next to their name. Okay, yeah. are, so Matt Taibbi has a fucking purple check. Right. I mean, he's, he's damn, the king. Bro. That's unbelievable. Nice job, Matt Taibbi. Not bad. Yeah. Isn't he like, he looks like he's like 30. I think he's like 60. <laughs> I literally think he's like 60 years old. <laughs> My guess is that he's in his 40s. I mean, like him, oh, I Sean think he's Berger, like way older than he than and he Barry was. Weiss. Like they all won that award because I, I view them as kind of the big three, um, just like you know the the former liberals just attacking all the the wokeness, yeah, right, and the climate stuff, yeah, Greenwald. Dude, I don't understand how this is real. I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me that this is like legit. Also, it's saying Matt Taibbi only has 68,000 organic traffic per month. Like that's nothing. No, I, I wouldn't believe and or care about traffic. What matters is uh, how many paid subscribers you have, I think, because that, that just shows like, you, you know, you'd rather have, a thousand really loyal fans than like a million people who maybe like right. your Twitter or something else, but don't do anything else. This is fascinating. This list. Yeah. I can't believe it. it. Gray mirror is number 28, which is like very surprising. I can't believe that that's like that. Curtis is on the list. It's like, he's so like tiny. Yeah. Wow. And then you have some sports guys. Like this is outdated because Grant Wall, uh, the the number thirty two here, who wrote a a soccer, uh, Substack. I think he worked for Sports Illustrated before that. Yeah. Like he he died suddenly, oh, a year shit. ago while he was at Qatar's World Cup. Oh yeah, so, wait, he was the gay guy. No, he he wasn't gay. He was married to a doctor, and I think they both went to Princeton together. And given that background, they were hardcore COVID, like mask and fear and then hardcore like get as many boosters as you oh, can. Oh, I thought he was gay. No, but like that was one of those very He was like wearing gay shit though, right? He was like wearing like suddenly. a gay Oh shirt. yeah, I mean he was virtue signaling cuz everyone Oh, tried he to got killed for sure. <laughs> they I mean, definitely all those, killed All him. these uh, you know, all these western liberal democracy country soccer teams went to Qatar and yeah. made clown 
videos of themselves doing the virtue signaling. It's like, look, you, you either boycott the thing because of human rights and, you know, whatever your, your views on, on gays and women are, but you don't just show up and then like go to this culture that has clearly told you we, yeah. we don't care for that. Unbelievable. And then still, and obviously like you're distracted from competing and winning. So all these teams yeah. shot the bed as, as they usually do. And you know, same thing happened to the U S women's team, which used to be a dominant and beloved team. Yeah, dude, he he fucked around and found out, man. Yeah, I mean, he. So there's a there's another way to he see. Got killed. Of course, he got killed, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. give me a break. Died like, suddenly. Died suddenly. That's yeah, oh, died suddenly after like bringing his gay shirt to fucking you know wherever where uh, a healthy forty something yeah. year old. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. So if you if you want to go, go look at other rankings, one thing that I stumbled into was like I think if you go to Substack's homepage you can explore different categories because you as a writer can can put your publication into a category or two. And what Substack does there is you can click into a category and see the top like 10 or 20 writers within each category. And they'll just give you like a, a quick summary of it and they'll tell you like, does this person have thousands of paid subscribers or hundreds? So that's, an, that's another way to peek at you know, who's who's rising up but i think the, the still the bulk of the people at the very top are people who have been doing this full-time professionally for a long time and brought all of their readers from wherever else they worked for before yeah nice this is fascinating man yeah so i'm but kind of know, this like this starting from from a standing like zero versus like all these people are coming in with uh, a running start and a huge like many thousands or tens of thousands off the bat to announce that like, Hey, I've moved and come here. Right. You know, who's not on this list is supposed pirate wires, which supposedly has all these subscribers and I guarantee is fake. So it's weird that they're not on here. Like supposedly just, pirate wires has like hundreds of thousands. I don't think he's at hundreds of thousands, but like Mike's great. I've, I've also met him uh, briefly and, like his, he really like put some bangers out. Now he's got a bigger team around him, so you know they, they've got that a lot of different angles. But no, I think he's legit. Most of the people on this list are legit. I don't think there's any like fake readers or bot issues. I just think like so you know if if you're paying to read like Dan Rather and Heather Cox Richardson and Richard Reich. And I've seen so many random profiles of readers. Like you see someone say something really stupid or demoralized and you can basically predict with complete certainty that this is who they read and they read yeah. like all of them at the same time. They all say the same thing. You all could have just saw them for free on CNN said <laughs> you're here at Substack paying right. them. These guys are millionaires and you're still paying them like five, six bucks a month to yeah. continue your, your Trump derangement syndrome so that's exactly that's what i'm calling the trump derangement Substack. i'm gonna have a really funny expose on sunday with uh about alexander vindman who brought his grift to Substack recently and we we had this actually like notes exchange go viral because i trolled him a few times about being a warmonger and doing color revolutions and then he smeared me because he thought i was the real yuri He's like, this guy is a KGB agent. Don't listen to him. And so a bunch of my readers just started pinging me, be like, look at this guy. He actually has uh, <laughs> broken his brain over you. 
<laughs> Wait, here, I'm like, just going to share this because why not? So hold yeah. on. Yeah, like this is what you're talking about. Yeah. So who is Vindman? Vindman? He's the guy who testified against Trump for the impeachment, like the second impeachment. Um, he you know he calls himself a whistleblower, even though like the left press loves him, which means he's not a whistleblower. He's a a subversion agent, and <laughs> like I think he served in Iraq and then he took a desk job, like an intelligence job. Uh, uh, <laughs> so like he's, he's one of those like, beloved figures. Russian Federation disinformation conduit his entire life. <laughs> his biography is mostly in, 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 uninteresting. Isn't like Yuri Long dead? Yeah, so that's the best part about this is that this guy went to Harvard. He's oh my uh, god. We've we've paid millions of our taxpayer dollars to him. If you don't even include all the the trial, like the impeachment crap, but this guy sits there at his desk and he sees my comment and he loses his mind. And Wait, all he had your to do original comment. Where is your original copy? He he deleted oh, them. He said he was oh, he deleted, deleted and blocked them. Oh, so he is sitting there raging and then. All he he would only have to take a few seconds to read either my Substack about page or Yuri's Wikipedia page to realize <laughs> that Yuri has been dead for fucking 30 years. <laughs> and while he was alive, he defected from the KGB. So number two, he's no longer active in the KGB and he's not alive. And number three, like the guy that you just called him is very upfront about how I am a regular dude. <laughs> these are these are the using people. a pseudonym. These are supposedly the experts that we have in the world. Yeah. Because he this went dude to has, this dude has like, almost a million yeah. Twitter followers. Oh my and god. He's a dude. darling, right? He just walks around and he's like, oh he's the paragon of fighting fascism and being such a uh, a true patriot who's yeah showing us how to be honest and act with integrity. It's like fuck off man. That's absolutely wild. I know, man. And they're yeah. all, and I guarantee he just like wax off to fucking porn. Like, all he probably just like is one of these like on the phone jerk off guys. Like, he just like talks to girls on the phone and just wax off all fucking day. He's and got like, that that's Jeff what he Tubin, does. He's got like yeah. that Jeff Tubin physiognomy. Like and that, he's right. got a, he's got a wife who's yeah. like the typical Karen. Yeah. Awful. They, Do we right. call AWFLs awfuls? Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Awfuls. Affluent, Affluent white. white. Yeah. Oh God, it's just so nauseating, but it's so funny to have actually punctured that. It's like the whole power structure is just these people. They're all yeah. these fucking people. It's unbelievable. It's like the meme of the the people with huge armor are knight, and then you just have this little arrow that goes through the gap in their eyes, and they <laughs> they look all tough on the outside. They have the the entire machinery of the Wehrmacht behind them, yeah. and then you're just a you poke them a little bit on Substack, and they have this meltdown in front of your eyes. Yeah, he's a so. Lincoln Project guy, of course. They're they're just, uh, I mean, it's amazing. You, you just wonder what's going on in these people's heads. Like, are are they? I mean, do they know that they're just like apparatchiks? Do they care? I mean, I think that they're all like they all have like weird sexual things that they do. So, like, I think that's part of why they like allow themselves to be bought. Uh but it's like, yeah, it's just like the mind of like a political somebody who just gets used politically is is a very interesting like. I mean, the question is, are they conscious of it or not? Right. Yeah, that's a deep, dark place because they are so they just have such big egos and they're completely wrapped up in a narrative that they can't shake out of it. And yeah, like, is there 
deeper like weird sexual stuff or childhood trauma stuff probably for a lot of them but yeah i mean i've been around people like this too long i even wrote like a that sex diary i think i shared that with you a long time ago when i was drafting it and then you gave me some really good feedback about it because that was like my first fiction but you know oh, one yeah. of those creative risks and gambles because it yeah. was very spicy but i think it was well received if you what want to get into again? like the, it was a sex diary of what remind me a sex diary of a pmc npc so oh. professional managerial class basically like a vinman you know like what goes through vinman's head every day for all these people who live in these deteriorating cities and care so much about right and like the status the of it all diary? like i definitely read this but what happened in the sex diary uh, I mean, I don't want to give too much away. I, away. I just go read it because there's just so many random details in it that uh, people will, will recognize in our world as, as being hilarious. <laughs> but a lot of people like the right. Vinman style people embrace it wholeheartedly. Oh, right, there's, right. There's right. no yes. self-awareness of like, is, is there something weird about what's going on here? Is my thought process weird? It's just like, ooh, I, I get off on this. I'm so I'm so into John Oliver. You know, I just listened to one of the best things I've listened to in a really long time, which was an audible podcast called White Smoke. I would highly recommend this to you. I'm going to write audible. a thing about it. What? Audible. Audible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. So Audible, it was funny because like Audible also simultaneously had like three podcasts that came out that were all like, you know, the insurrectionist next door bullshit. But then they published this one that was about Ed Buck. You know, Ed Buck, right? Oh, the uh, L.A. Democrat donor. Yeah. So Ed Buck was like, is 100 uh, percent yeah. one of these people. And he was like very much in this California power structure of like, you know, very far left people, you know, people who were like gay rights activists long before that was a thing. And uh, there's a podcast made by another gay guy about like the lifestyle that Ed Buck is living. Oh, boy. and it is like fucking mind blowing. It is like, yeah, like, and you don't realize that like 50% of the gay people in California are living this lifestyle. It's like fucking shocking beyond belief. It's like, it's, it's so, um, first of all, they're all racist as fuck. Like, you know that like, it's all like race play. They have, they have a no Asians rule. Like all the like gay sex houses, like in the powerful parts of like San Francisco and LA, there's no Asians allowed. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, I have no idea why. I mean, they're they're uber elitist and they are yeah. somewhat like eugenicists, even though like a lot of them might not want to reproduce. They yeah. care so much about their experiences. Yeah. They're obviously attracted to people based on their experiences or, or uh, yeah, on their appearances. appearances. Yeah. And look, I have like my wife has several gay friends. I've had gay friends. I even had one no, I have plenty who subletted yeah. uh, an apartment with um, like took my roommate's room. And he was like on some top 10 or something like hottest bachelors list in our city. And I was like, yeah, this guy's like a very good looking, sweet, smart guy. But I can see how like they're all so competitive and driven because they've got testosterone and yeah. how that all like mixes into the dynamics of like, oh, yeah, you know, you have to be this hot or this race to hang with our crew and be in our our circles. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I was so surprised, man. I was, I was so, and like, that's what's going on. Like, there's a huge backbone of like gay meth sex that's going on in all these like democratic halls of power. And what's so funny is people will say, well, that's not, 
that's not true. And it's like, no, listen to the fucking podcast. It's very, very true. Like they're, they're completely open about it. And it's like, uh, it's, it's not just like a small thing. Like this is like the lifestyle that they, they say like 50% of people are living in, in California. They say it's way less in, uh, like these, it's called party and play or it's called chem sex. And they say it's like huge in California. And, but for some reason on the East coast, it's like way less, uh, which just goes to show like how evil, California is like naturally it's just naturally I'm sure there are things that you you just can't even fathom uh it's it's kind of like that that scene in uh what was that HBO show True Detective right yeah yeah where uh they they like view the footage of some yeah. horrific like cultish child rape yeah. um totally like ritual and and god like I think that's how we would react to a lot of this and so it's probably best not to know. Like if people and... only knew, you know, I mean, and this is the whole thing about like, again, like, yeah, I have plenty of gay friends. I have no issue there. It's just like, it's one thing to be gay. It's another thing to like live your life entirely based on hedonism. You know what I mean? Like, and just entirely yeah. like everything you do is just. And now that we've become hedonism. fathers, it starts to go into after your kids. And that's when right. you really start to, take note and um right i think i think especially on with the mama bears like my wife has been mom pilled so to speak since uh having the baby because she sees how just like everything not just the the weird sexual stuff but like the food the basics like can you get good non-processed healthy food and how do you <laughs> you know, how do you get them on onto good diets is a big problem now and yeah. it one of the things I continue to explore and still haven't wrapped my head around after all these years is that like our, our thought process, our brains are almost entirely different from the leftist mindset. Because when it comes to things like, all right, there's, you see a video of a, of a poor girl playing a high school sport and getting drilled in the face because a boy like hit a freaking uh, field hockey ball harder than anything that a girl could hit yeah. or like being concussed because a, a boy on playing on a girl's team went and spiked a ball right into a face yeah. you know, like you, you just recoil so hard and to think that so many parents can continue to sit there in the bleachers and not do a goddamn thing uh, I, I just don't know the 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 process behind that in their minds well, and the, the, the similar thing the goes to crime evil, right it's the banality yeah. of evil so if like with with crime right I, I'm happy to no longer live in the city and deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis. But if someone, if a friend of mine were to send me an article about a, a bad crime that occurred near where I lived, my reaction would be, Oh wow. Like, thanks for sending that to me. I didn't know that happened. Uh, it shows that you care and like shit, you know, maybe I should reevaluate where I live. This seems to be a dangerous place. Right. Yeah. And like, I feel like most reasonable people that would be their thought process. But then if you share that same article with the lefty, you'll just get freaking shit thrown back at you. Yeah, right. Like, like this doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like unsubscribe, like what is wrong with you? You're, you're racist. Stop bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the thing is they have what I've noticed with my leftist friends who I increasingly like cut me off. And, you know, I had a, I had a very close leftist friend for a while and he cut me off like six months ago or something just was like, I'm done with you. I can't, I can never talk to you again. And it was over some gay thing. 
Um, you know, he has two moms and uh, he's a good guy, you know, but he's a he's a hardcore lefty. And the thing I always I mean, again, like we would just fight on text for like, you know, hours, such a fucking waste of time, by the way. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's that, good that, that drains you. Yeah. Um, you know, but I do you know, I miss the guy. It's also good not to have like he was like a drinking buddy, you know, which you shouldn't have anyway. Uh, but um his thing, the, the, what I realized in always arguing with him is like he had this rhetorical like thing where it was there would always be some like logical explanation. You know what I mean? There, it would always be like, oh, no, like they're not really mutilating babies for like, that's not really true. Like that only happens once every really long time. And it's when the baby is like, or when it's when the child is like an extreme case and like, you know, it's not really, it's the whole kind of like, it's not really happening. And if it is, it's a good thing, you know, like he mm -hmm. would never actually, there would always be some like convenient explanation, you know, like, Oh, the, oh, the, the best one was like city violence. Right. The city violence would always be like, well, look at the numbers, the number, the violent crime is not up. Right. Because like they say, like the murder rate isn't was it what isn't what it was in the 80s, like during the crack epidemic. And he goes, he'll go, well, it's actually not up. So it's no different. And then it would be like, well, but look around you, like, clearly this is terrible. And he'd be like, well, you know, it's the big city, like maybe the big that's what you get when you live in the big city, like boohoo, like that's what the big city has always been about. He would always have like little explanations like that, you know, it's vibrant. You yeah, should enjoy right, that right. vibrancy. Yeah, you get good Thai food. It's like, this is what you get. Yeah. You good Thai food. That's probably my favorite Yuri line that keeps echoing in my head is you cannot reason with the demoralized person. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's it somewhat like the Orwell part where people you can you can show them like uh, and, and the, the party will tell them not to believe their eyes and ears. Yeah. Right. Like, that's what it comes to. Yeah. It comes to like not believing like these very clear clear things but it, and that, that's right i mean it's that's it's very boomer you know my my parents are both like this it's like they're they're willing to do things that are so blatantly insane uh like for example you know sending your kid to i mean this i i had it better than most but uh you know i have family friends they send their kids to these these like white kids to these hood schools and they're shocked when the kid gets beat up and like it has a horrible time. And then they say, they don't say, damn, like this is fucked up. Like I, I need to protect my child. They don't think that they think, Oh, well those poor, uh, poor black kids, uh, you know, they have no opportunities. <laughs> you know, Like that's, that's where their mind goes. And it's just like, you're they're they're so alienated from themselves. They're so alienated from like the the actual like necessities of being a human being, right? So, I, I mean, mean, if you can sever the instinct between parents protecting right. their children, yeah. then you've pretty yeah. much severed everything. You've severed everything right? related like, right. to. If you can convince a parent their to... humanity and their yeah. their evolution and their survival, right? 
I guarantee you my parents would have for sure, if I had been like a little kid who had said, like in today's world, I would have been first on the fucking dick chopping line at for, for sure. They would have been, they would have offered me up right away. They would have been like, oh, oh yeah. geez, oh, yeah, no, he's, a, he's a girl. He, he said he was a girl. Let's uh, let's get the surgery. I would have absolutely been one of them if, if I had like, you know, gotten into the pipeline or whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe that's not fair to my parents. Sorry, parents, if that's not true. You know, I, they, they did uh, push back sometimes against like the medical establishment in, in certain ways. Maybe my dad, my mom more so than my dad. Yeah, um, but that oh, was yeah. some some in some strange way, that little domino that then knocked over the bigger dominoes, because it looks like the, one of the main reasons why Elon decided to buy Twitter is because he saw the mind virus in his kids fancy private school. I think his one of his kids, the oldest one, now no longer talks to them. And I don't know if they've gone a chemical or physical trans uh, yeah. surgery, but they've definitely socially transitioned. So, yeah, like that's a normal reaction. If you're a parent, even if you have 10 kids, if one of them gets taken over by this horrible ideology, you're going to take it personally and you're going to find ways to fight back. So... In some very bizarre way, the universe had to play it out like that. Guy takes forty-four billion, one of the only people in the world who could actually do that, and tries to restore some sanity in free speech. That's very true. I've always said that the trans thing was almost every other issue in today's world is not something people are willing to die for. Like people are willing to die for that one. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're literally mutilating somebody's child, like they're gonna be willing to go all the way for for that one you know what i mean like you can do a lot of shit to people without them like going that far but yeah. like they will not accept that you know i think at least most people i mean who who knows look slave people allow themselves to be enslaved at at certain times so it's how do you know but uh that one to me seems like a free people are they're never going to swallow that pill mm -hmm. in, in my in my view they're even the people who really want to be left alone they will be activated and they will they will be uh very intense about it well it's so great to be alive now isn't it because it's so like <laughs> this has never been tried like you know you unix for sure unix were around forever right and if if trans people wanted to say we're a unix i think everybody would be totally fine with that everybody would be like, oh okay <laughs> sure yeah go go be a unix like no no problem the the problem is when the unix is trying to force you to say that they're a woman like the, the yeah or telling they're trying to get your kid to be a eunuch like them so they right. can all be yeah. in the emperor's court together that's well, like one of my, the my favorite you, terms how, is to call yeah. people court eunuchs like the people like vindman and whatnot who are just fawning over the regime not stop that seems to be the only reason for their existence like that's a court eunuch you don't even have to chop your balls off to be a court eunuch, be a eunuch right like you, it's just like a, a mental emotional state of being yeah, this is a <laughs> bowing to the regime and licking the emperor's boots and fawning over their, their clothes, even though they're naked, you know, all that, all that yeah. shit. Eunuch mindset that we need a eunuch. Mindset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite of bronze age. The eunuch, <laughs> the court eunuch mindset. It's just like full bug man. You know, I mean, that's essentially what like, you know, that in the vibe camp piece, all these engineers, these Google engineers who are trans, they're basically like eunuch mindset. They're just like, mm -hmm. I'm just like, run me over daddy. Just fucking like, <laughs> tell me what to fucking do. Like, I'll just be a fucking sock puppet for whatever you want. You know, just like, yeah.
Um, which is in a way like maybe more admirable in some ways than like being just a normie, right? I mean, it's like at least they're going for it in some way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so uh what do you see like where's the right gonna go from here? Where are you at with um the election with all of us, like the frogs, you know, I've been hanging out with a lot of frogs in person recently <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's great. Like they're my people, but also, you know, every time I leave being like, I need to be more of a normie. <laughs> like I, I need to, like every time I'm like, I got to get out of this. Like they're, they've been my true North for so long. Like, you know, trying to impress like BAP or like delicious tacos. Not that I actually do, but like thinking about that. Um, or like Arvin. And like every time I'm like deep in those worlds, I'm like, I gotta like I love them. I love being around them, but it's like I'm like, I need to like try to appeal to the mainstream a little more. So I, I don't know mm-hmm. what, what you're seeing where from your standing. That's the direction that I'm thinking of going as well, is to appeal to the normies, try to take the spice down a little bit in what I write and oriented a bit more not towards people like us who already get it but perhaps people who are now starting to question and wake up a little bit more but are still a little bit averse to some of the harshness of how we frame things or how we say things so i think that's the the important direction to go into like mathematically it has to happen and yeah i think this past month has has been uh a lot of awakening going on because first you have the the israel and palestine situation tragedy all around and uh but what's that that was huge for us that was like the best thing that's happened to the to the left for us in a long time it was the first fracture since trump yeah i mean we all knew this fracture existed of like how can you be gay for uh people in a cultural religion that wants to stone you to death in the street uh, people are finding that out fast, right? And and you, yeah, you have this unique moment where minds are a bit more open. It's somewhat like the Truman Show. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I rewatched it recently and blown away by how good it is, like the acting, the writing, but also how twenty five years ago it basically predicted this moment of like you know the lights falling from the sky. You're noticing random shit just like be broken. And it starts to, for a lot of people, make them finally take a, st- a step back and say, all right, like how much of this is totally fake and constructed and where I've just been uh, somehow taken over to believe a set of things that I'm seeing with my own eyes are no longer true and yeah. never were potentially. Well, right? Like me- this guy lives 30 years of his life where everyone around him is a fucking actor and you know he's He's been shepherded into this. And so it can be a lot for people, right? Like imagine the shock of going through that, like however long, five, 10, 15, 20 years where you went to college, you you worked and your entire surrounding world by osmosis just came into your head. Like this is the way things are. This is what's good. And this is what's bad. And now it's all just being flipped on its head and jumbled around. Sorry, I'm trying to, um, yeah, no, uh, I, I completely agree, but aren't they going to not like this is all we're all assuming that like one day they're going to wake up. But it, that's probably not true for most of them. Right. I mean, it, like, are they ever going to actually wake up? You know, I don't know. Are they? 
it's a gradual process. In some ways, you're disappointed over the past five years when you had complete lockdowns and take taking away civil liberties, closing schools. You had masking and jabbing. You had riots in the streets. You have people dying, businesses being looted and burned down. So that it's all out there, right? And you have to wonder, we have access on our phones to all the world's information. Why hasn't more of that seeped into people more broadly? And I, I guess you just unfortunately have to have more people learn lessons the hard way, you know, whether it's your, your student on campus or your trustee who's given away so much of your money to a place that like you should have known was already against you, but now is very clear that they've wasted your money and used it in ways that are detrimental to what you believe in and broader society, this country, Western civilization, whatever you want to call it. So like it, it just it just has to be harsh for a lot of people. But in the meantime, I suppose like guys like us can keep chipping away and try to like normize or make it more friendly for the for the lay person to like maybe you know ask basic questions or have you know challenge a few of the, the assumptions on like what's working for them, what's not working, and hopefully they put two and two together and change the way that they fill out their ballots. But you know, yesterday wasn't a, a great example of that either. Hey, you're on, you're on mute. I have to remember though that like think about the 60s and 70s or the 70s. There were like 3,000 bombings in the seventies from the weather underground, you know, those eras, the lefties were going insane. They killed a Senator. I mean, this is like what Curtis Yarvin's whole point is, is like this leftism has been going on in this way forever. You know, they've been killing people. The, the black Panthers like killed people on the streets, like for a long time, you know what I mean? And that didn't wake people up. So like, why, why? Because I agree with you. It does feel like people are kind of waking up. But like, why? Why now? You know, because th this type of violence, this leftist violence has been going on forever. Hmm. That's a tough one. Because, yeah, you do have more just footage of this stuff happening. And it just might be the, the sheer like willpower behind cognitive dissonance of like, I just don't want to see it because I don't want to believe it. So I think once you get someone to see it, I think that's most of the battle. But like you're a marketing guy, right? It's like the top of the funnel. Like you first, you want someone to just pay attention to your ad. But if people are actively saying, like, I know this company, I know what kind of message they're trying to send to me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to block it out. Um, you know, the analogy here is to conservatism. Then you're never going to move that person further into the funnel of like, you know, changing their minds and, and potentially ascribing to, to different beliefs. Yeah. 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 I think, I think what we're seeing is like, basically here, here's how I, I think that like, you know, Reagan basically um, was a response to that era, you know, like Ray Reaganism, the eighties were like a response to those two decades or one decade, whatever, of like bombing by crazy fucking leftists. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where culture went. And you saw it, like you see the electoral map of Reagan, right? I mean, you see what it, what it looks like. It's complete domination. Which 1984. Really, what a year. Exactly. And that's exactly what this map was supposed to look like. 
you know, it had they not fortified and changed all the fucking rules of the election. You know what I'm saying? Like Trump would have yep. absolutely dominated. And like, look at the look at the polls. He wins by six points everywhere, even now after they tried to put him in jail. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think the difference is the insidiousness of the left. I think that that's what's changed. I think that in the 60s and the 70s, they weren't that powerful. But now they have gotten that powerful. They've they've taken over everything. They've completely taken over everything. And so they're so powerful that now they can fortify an election and make it so that the Reagan era, which should have been the Trump era, doesn't actually happen, right? And so I think that that's why people are waking up because they're kind of like, they're not getting like the needed natural like discharge of culture going back right. You know, because yep. culture is now being forced to be left. And I think and also- they and they recruit. They are very good at at building this pipeline of new people coming in because the teachers unions are three million of them are completely dominated by the left. And so they're in the schools every day reinforcing this narrative. And by the time kids get to college, it might already be too late. So in some ways, it's incumbent on the parents to just like do their freaking jobs in a way to help their kids actually complete this pendulum swing back because otherwise you're, you're just losing them to the public school system and college. Well, and yeah, definitely. No, I think that's a great, that's a great point. It's like they've, they've completely like dominated that whole pipeline and the whole, yeah, yeah the all education and everything. It's like they've just brainwashed so many people. And also of course we have to talk about the longhouse, which I think that's the biggest factor in all of this. I think it's, I think the reason everything changed in 2014 is because you had reached a certain point of awfuls in the workplace, right? Yeah. You you, you hit a certain zero barrier where, you know, you have to assume that like the managerial class is like starts at like, you know, 20% women over the next 40 years, it goes 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Yes. You know, and then in 2014, you hit like 80%. And then that's like, it's you stop being able to like change anything because that group of people is now in control, you know, like educated, overeducated white women are now in control of all the institutions, (laughs) you know? And so you're just like screwed basically. And that's why it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in culture now, because you can't just get those people out. You know, you can't just mass fire like every HR woman in the country. You know, like what what are you gonna do? So that's why it's gonna uh, be really interesting to see what happens. If only, but I think that's the cycle of life, uh, just coming from more of the business and startup world. Every like tale as old as time, right? It doesn't matter the demographic of the people involved. Once a company gets too big and successful, it can't innovate anymore, it can't ship new products and attract the best talent. And the best talent is going to get frustrated and leave. So like no one wants to live in a or work in a longhouse anymore. And most of these companies have become that. So I think there's just going to be a huge uh, kind of exciting primordial soup of people who uh, just realize that the, the best and only option potentially is to go start something on their own or at least go like band together with some other rebels and, and go make something happen because like the longhouse is like corporate life was already dull and soul sucking enough yeah the the longhouse version of it is like 10 times worse yeah so (laughs) yeah it's like 
there's there's no way you can make it through with your with your sanity and your honor intact. Totally. I mean, then as long as they let us start companies, which who knows how long they'll let us, I think we'll be yeah. okay. But but what are you seeing? Uh, are you I mean, in the world of fine, I'm not going to like say anything specific, but in the world of like business finance or whatever, what are you seeing? Like, are you seeing these funds, you know, based funds popping up? Does that seem like that's going anywhere? Yeah, I've seen a lot of activity. Uh, don't want to get too specific on on yeah. names and people, but like compared to the last time we talked, even which was over six months ago, there's been a flurry of new activity. So I I find that all encouraging. I think there's just more people who understand what's at stake and are also willing to go and and execute against that. So you know, it is still a, a massive market opportunity. Half of this entire country, the the largest economy in the world. So like one way or another, people it's an arbitrage and people want to be early adopters will come in and and go and build within this arbitrage as fast as they can. And maybe things will even out in a few years and, and it'll take some time. But for now it's like the Wild West and that's a very exciting place to be. So what would you say is like, you know, for for Will like my company, what sort of brands should we be focusing on from where you're sitting? Like, or should we be going after VCs? Like, you know, from your perspective, what, where is this parallel economy? You know, I, I hosted a panel called Forking the Economy uh, at Urban Assembly. Like, wh where do you think the economy is going um, with the whole notion of like parallel institutions? Yeah, I, I think it, I can't think of a good, forum where like all these ideas and people have come together so it might be a good idea to just like start your own um conference in a way and get all these uh people all together in one place because i think like bology hosted some yeah. uh, conference in amsterdam recently yeah what was did. it called it was like the i don't know i don't know what it's called but yeah I, yeah it was like about this in some in some big way yeah yeah, because I think a lot of like in the same way that people are abandoning the Fortune 500 legacy corporations, they're also abandoning a lot of the legacy like conferences and events because they're just they become such boondoggles. You have to pay so much. The speakers suck. It's all like boring, predictable crap. I think that's why the all in guys have done so well. And they're I think they're starting yeah. to get into that events uh, business as well after hosting a few of their summits. So, yeah, I think there's potentially opportunity for us to to work with others and like get all, get this parallel economy more physically together. Cause I think that right now there's just pockets and there are people like us who are nodes and overlap and maybe people have followings on Substack or Twitter where like you, we know who our readers are, but they don't know who each other are and yeah. how do we, how do we, bring everyone together in, in a more I think there's level. definitely a lot of dots that's that need to be connected yeah like I you know I had this again I had this Bitcoin guy on and I have noticed that like the crypto crew and like the dissident economy crew like they aren't really connected like th those two things could be connected way more than they are yeah um and yeah I think it's I think yeah the pieces are like kind of coming together. Uh, the question is, you know, eventually they're going to come after us, you know, the, the, the other side, if we reach a certain level, 
uh, they're going to come after us. And it'll be interesting to see what they do to us, you know? Yeah. Right now, I think the, the other the other interesting dynamic about this moment is that a lot of people are now reaching a point where they feel like they don't need to be as quiet or hidden about being based. It's like all of a sudden, like people are publicly announcing it because it, it just used to take a lot more time to get to know someone and figure out where they stood. Yeah, but I'm seeing more of, of that kind of sentiment now where it's like, OK, like enough stupid stuff is ha- happening in the world where it's okay to say that you're based or yeah. conservative, whatever it is you, you want to call yourself. I'm not that big a fan of, of labels, but you know, bef- before there used to be this stigma and it's part of the reason why I'm still anon and plan to remain anon, yeah. but there used to be this, this very heavy stigma. And over time you see that the stigma is dissipating and now it might even to be to the point where people are, are think it's a cool thing to say, okay, well, I'm one of those people who's awake now. And the nice thing about our world is that people are very open and happy to see people changing their minds and, and coming through. Like it, that's maybe the key difference is that we are very open, accepting of all different people. And there's no like stringent code of like things you have to believe, like, like there is on the left. Yeah. I think especially the younger, the younger guys, uh, the younger kids for sure are like, definitely not interested like they're way they have, more yeah open. they have nothing to lose so yeah. we yeah the zoomers continue to be an enigma but we just need to get more in front of these zoomers who are starting out their lives in college graduating they, they see this the chaos around them and we gotta just channel that positive energy yeah yeah totally all right man well hey congrats on the eight thousand. uh it's very very um inspiring to see what you've been able to do and, and uh, to see like what consistency can do in, in this world. So keep it up. Uh, I love your stuff and yeah, man, anytime, come on. I love having you. Thanks. Always a pleasure. Hopefully we'll do this again. And you know, once I get into the 10, 15,000 range, like that's a, an do NBA stadium, right? Like I'm trying to visualize what that many people looks like. Cause it's, it's hard to do that. Right. Um, and yeah, cool. that, that's always a, a nice thing to think about. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep chipping away. Stay humble, stay hungry, and uh, we'll we'll see you again soon. For sure, brother. Talk to you. Later.